It's time for the 8 Greatest Golf Show with Jerome Espinosa on ESPN Radio 1017 The Team. It's a lock. I hit the 7 iron like John Davey hits the 3. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner! Yeah. Jerome Espinosa is a Class A PGA professional and director of instruction at 8 Greatest Performance Center. It looks like I'm a wreck. It's in the hole! We will talk all things New Mexico golf, hear from voices all around the world of golf, and even give some swing tips to improve your game. All you got to do is just tap it in. Give it a little tappy. Tap, tap, tap a roo. Now, Get ready playing golf here's PGA Pro Jerome Espinoza. Hi, guys. Welcome back to ESPN Radio with the 8 Greatest Golf Show on 1017 The Team. Uh, Jerome is off this week playing golf in Florida, so it's just myself, David Mutter, and I've got a special guest with us, uh, like to introduce Sean Carlone. He is a former Lobo golfer, professional golfer, and the assistant golf coach for the UNM men's golf team. Sean, you there? Yep. Can you hear me okay, Mother? Yeah, yeah. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Yeah, not too bad. What's going on over there today? Uh, just a little little uh, wedge practice, little trajectory work, little putting work, you know, stuff to try to make these guys good. Shoot low scores, that's the goal, that's the goal. So uh, we're going to talk about a bunch of stuff today, but let's just start talking about, I mean, talk about yourself a little bit, your your background, how you got into golf, and, and how you ended up working for Glenn over there at UNM. Yeah, so I mean, I, uh, I grew up here in New Mexico, um, kind of picked up golf uh, pretty early on from my dad, and grew up playing golf at Paradise Hills, and um, that's kind of where my roots are over there, and uh, sort of like I had a pretty pretty good high school career, and then had the opportunity to come play here at UNM for Coach Milliken, and uh, played here from uh, 2015 to 2019, and uh, you know it was it was it was a great experience playing here, and then not only being able to play at a prestigious program like we have here at UNM, but being able to do it in my hometown, right down the road from where I grew up, and for a guy, play for a guy that I've known for a very long time was an awesome experience. And um, after college, I you know, I felt like I had a good enough career where it was worth a shot to try and play professional golf. And um, I did that for three years. And this summer, I felt like it was time to sort of make a change and maybe transition out. And I, uh, you know, and it, it just so lucky enough that a uh, position opened up here as the assistant coach for UNM and. And it was a perfect match, and it was a comfortable situation. So that's how I ended up where I am today. Yeah, UNM through and through. So you played high school golf at Hope Christian, correct? Yes, sir. Who was your coach then? Uh, it was John Lehman. John. Um, yeah, he's retired now. But, yeah, he was my high school coach for five years. Oh, that's great. That's great. So talk to me about the golf team a little bit. Who have we got? Um, who have we got? I guess that's in their last semester, and then uh, what sort of new recruits are you looking at bringing in, and, and say, where are they coming from? Say again, sorry. Yeah, so talk to us about the team a little bit. Um, guys you've got, um, who's in there? You've probably got some guys in their last semester playing college golf. Um, yeah. Tell us, so we have, talk about them a little we bit. Ha- yeah, we have a pretty good mix of, uh, we have some older guys, but we do have some younger guys for sure. Um so we, I mean, and then the nice thing is with the with the amount of recruiting that we do here and trying to make this program competitive, we have guys from all walks of the world. So we have a we have we uh, have a freshman, uh, Virgilio Paz from Venezuela, 
who's come in and made a pretty good impact right away as a freshman. We have another freshman from Spain, Alvaro Portillo. Um, we have uh, our our oldest guy, Brandon Chong, who's our fifth-year senior. He's from Australia. Um, we have Bastian Amat, who's a junior from France. Albert Bonetta, who's a redshirt junior from Spain. Matthew Watkins from Texas. Connor Adams um, and Jacob King are sophomores from Texas. And... Um, Watkins, any relation to Lanny Watkins? Cause I know no, no relation to Lanny Watkins, no. Because he, he had but a couple of kids we, that were pretty good. Yeah, they're a little bit older. Yeah, they're about, they're more my age. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, and then we also, but we do actually have Carson Heron, who is uh, Tim Heron's son, who's a Lobo legend. Um, so it's nice to have uh, some deep roots in Lobo golf there. And, uh, so you know it's been it's it's been great. It's been a great experience so far as an assistant coach. It's a little different from this side, you know, but it it is nice to be able to play professional golf for a few years and kind of uh you know give give those guys a little bit of insight of what it looks like and what it takes and just the decisions that you need to make in order to get ready. Yeah, so I mean it, it, I guess talk to me about obviously you've only been doing this this job for a short amount of time, but mm-hmm. the recruiting so you have college programs, well, UNM, it's one of the best college programs in the country. I don't think people quite realize how consistently good they've been for a long time. Right. And then you see the guys that play for them over the years. You know, I've been here for God, 12 years now, and I've seen a lot of good players come and go. And then the ones that have the success as a professional, you know, sometimes almost blow you away that that was the person that made it, you know, so... Right. To talk about what you've learned recruiting wise and, and what to look for in these kids and because it's so much more than than the scores they shoot. I mean it's right. it's how you handle no. adversity, it's how you handle the stage, it's how you handle success. I mean there's so many different things, but how, how do you how do you judge that in a in a sixteen, seventeen, eighteen year old uh, and mm-hmm. you know, how do you see past you know, they, right. obviously at that age, they've got so much to learn and they don't even realize it. Right. And, and for sure. And, and, you know, it's it, obviously physical skill is like a, is probably the biggest thing, right? You got to be able to, you got to be able to play golf and like be able to create and hit these shots that were, that are required. And, uh, but honestly, like you, you kind of touched on it. Character is a big one, and then how they handle adversity. Because, uh, as you know, you've played at a very high level as well, and played in several majors. Like professional golf's hard. The setups are very difficult. There's there's a lot of things that could sneak up on you. So I, I think the biggest thing with recruiting is just how, uh, how uh, like obviously physical skill, character, and then obviously how they handle adversity is is a very important part. Because if somebody struggles handling adversity then it then it makes golf a little bit harder because it is such a mental game yeah no i mean when you get to a certain standard of golf it, it's i would argue it's 95 percent is is in your brain of whether you're going to be successful or not there's there's right. thousands of kids that can that have the ability to play on the pga tour and, and win you know major championships and but the difference is what you've got between your ears and, and right and it and it's it's unbelievable just because i've seen it from both sides and you know just with with the program that we are and the the schedule that we play you know our guys are 
I mean, our guys are exposed to the best golf courses and the best tournaments you could play all year. And so it's amazing seeing it from both sides. Even when I was in school, the guys that were pretty unbelievable that still haven't made it yet um, and or not even playing anymore. And then the guys that, like you said, are kind of shocking. But it's just if you put Division One golfers on a PGA Tour driving range, no, unless you know the person, you're not really going to tell the difference. It's just such a fine line. Um, mentally between um, guys that make it and guys that don't. So, you know, it's just a very mental game. It's 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 quite amazing, honestly. It, it is incredible. I mean, I'll tell you this. I've played played with a lot of the guys that, that are out in the PGA Tour or were on the PGA Tour. Um, and, you know, when you see the success sometimes, it's it almost does blow you away because you've played with them and, and you look at it and you're like, well, you know, I've, I can do everything they do, you know, if right. if not better. And then for whatever reason, they, they they manage to to figure it out when they get to the professional level. I mean, there's Martin Piller, for example. Um, I knew him a little bit. He played college golf, didn't even really start in the top five, uh, turned pro at the end of it, won the Texas State Open, I think, in his first event, and then went on to have great success on the PJ tour. I mean, he's, he's lost his card a few times, but got it back. And, you know, it's just those, those five or six guys that were playing ahead of him at A&M are probably wondering, you know, what, what did he do different than I did? And, and, right. Uh, well, and, uh, and like a perfect example of that for us, of the most recent success outside of after college is Victor Perez. He, yeah. you know, he, he, he did struggle his senior year. Uh, and you know, and he went through some pretty dark times. And I mean, the guy's in the top; he's ranked 60th in the world now, and he just won a Rolex Series event. So it, it's pretty unbelievable how sometimes just just a mental switch can, and just not losing confidence, you know, can just kind of change a person's life. It's 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 crazy how the mental game works in this. Yeah, and I, I, I would, I would, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd say that getting the confidence at that level and just being able to move past that, not 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 lose the confidence, but get the confidence, understand you can do it at that level, and then, you know, then there's a progression to winning those events, right? I mean, right. you start by making some cuts, you know, you maybe have the top 20, you sneak in the top 10, you start to believe you can do this stuff. So I guess the, the question I'm getting at is, as a college golf coach, how do you, and, and I'm sure you're learning every day from Glenn, who's been doing it for a long time and does a really, really good job. How do you, I mean, there's no way to, I guess, see that, but other than the physical ability, how do you really see that these guys, okay, look, this kid, this kid has it, you know, he, he may need a little work on his putting or, or whatever, but he has the mental ability to compete in golf tournaments at the highest level. I mean, how do you how do you see that in someone? It, it's so it's so difficult at that age. That I guess that's what I'm getting. Right. At. I mean, you're you're recruiting right. kids now that are 15, 16, 17 years old. I mean, that's just it's that's such an almost impossible thing to tell. I mean, right, I, right. You've got to, I guess, fight, check all the boxes of, of the stuff you want, and then. Hopefully you can teach them some of those things. But it, so, so tell me what Glenn has, 
has really taught you about that. I mean, I, I know, I know he's the main recruiter, but um, you're right. you must be learning those things. Well, one hundred percent, and and you know, it's and you're right though. It is a very difficult thing to kind of be able to uh, check all those boxes, but and honestly, he's and like you said, just it shows how good of a recruiter he is because of the most like just because of the consistent success we've had over the last 25 years, you know, and, but he does a pretty phenomenal job of just picking out, like you said, sometimes, sometimes there are recruits that have a little bit to work on, but they have what, I mean, what you, you and I know is like the it factor. They just have a very, very high competitive edge to them um, and a willingness to want to learn. And that, and it seems like it may be hard to pick out, but like, as soon as you kind of see it, you kind of know. You know, when they have that competitive edge and they have that willingness to learn, then plus to go along with a pretty good physical skill set, it's it, you you know that it could work. You know, and uh, but yeah, it's um, it's it's great working under coach. Obviously, it's a comfortable situation because I played for him. I kind of he's a great friend of mine. You know, and he he was always a, a, almost like a second dad in a sense because. Of how close we are, and so it's great to be able to learn from him and learn from a guy that's had very, very good success for his entire tenure of his career. So, um, short amount of time I've been doing this, but it is nice to be able to uh, to be able to kind of learn as I go. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's any other way to do it. I mean, yeah, it's golf is a very, very hard sport. I mean, this is um, it's not like recruiting for a football team or a basketball team. And the fact that, that you know their physical attributes are, are such a massive, massive part of it, whereas golf, it's just not. It's it's become more of the case over the years, but still, there are plenty of guys on the PJ Tour, and I don't think your everyday person realizes there are plenty of guys out there that do not hit it three thirty, and they are very, right. very, very successful. You see and hear that, the yeah. commentators all the time talk about the distance and. I mean, right. there are guys out there that they don't hit it any further than you or I, you know, and and mm-hmm. they have fantastic careers. Right, and 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 the other thing with golf is like you were talking about football and basketball. Is there's like a there's certain physical attributes that make you pretty good at the game, but golf there's just there's many different physicalities that go along with it. You guys, you have guys that are. You know, Rory McIlroy is a perfect example. Five foot eight, five foot nine, that just absolutely destroy it. Then you have some bigger guys that you know maybe have a little bit softer touch around the green. So it's just it's it's kind of fun from that standpoint because it doesn't matter what you look like um, in order to be successful in this game. Yeah, I mean, no two ways about it. Rory's. I've played a couple of holes with Rory, and I've watched. I've hit balls next to him. I've watched him hit balls, and it's the most incredible thing you'll ever see with a driver. Like he's. He is not very big. He's he's bulked up since he turned pro, and but he is not very tall, and he absolutely smashes it. I mean, right. I, and it's yeah. Then you've got your guy that's six four that hits a powder puff, right? It's just the strangest, strange, strangest thing. But anyway, yeah, you know that, that's what makes recruiting for golf so difficult. It, it's and 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 it's funny, or it's not funny, but it's. It's amazing, just to touch on Mil- Coach Milliken again, because there's a story from when I was in school when uh, 
we got paired with Cow at an event, and I played with Colin Morikawa, and the weather was, you know, the weather was subpar in Tucson, and he shot, and he was coming off an injury and whatnot, but he shot 84 in the first round. Yeah. And when I was walking down the fairway with Coach, he tells me that guy's going to win on the PGA Tour. And, you know, as a 19-year-old kid, you're like, I mean, the guy just shot 84. Like, there's no way, you know. And then, sure enough, he shoots 67, 66 in bad weather the next two days and finishes like six or seven. Yeah. So he's just got a very good eye at seeing guys that have that factor, you know. So it's uh, it's 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 awesome that I was able to get this job and be able to learn under a guy like that. Yeah. So do you think your future is in 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 coaching a college team? Is that something you you think about? Or yeah, I definitely think so. That the um, I definitely think that it's something that I could see myself doing for for the rest of my life. Um, I enjoy it. I enjoy being around the guys. I enjoy seeing their successes. I enjoy trying to help them in any way I can. And um, and that was sort of the reason I transitioned is because I felt like seeing their success gives me more pride than than my own successes at this point. You know, so it, it's just a pretty good combination with me and just the dynamic of working with a team that makes me see myself doing this in the future. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, it, how much. How much teaching is really done from you or Glenn? I mean, these guys obviously probably have their own instructors. I, I'm guessing it's more... I mean, I, I played college golf, but I played junior college golf for two years, and, and that was it. I didn't play after that. Um, yeah, I mean, um, there, there can't be a ton of teaching going on. It, it, it's got to be more sort of advice and parenting and, and planning and, yeah, it, and how to prepare yeah, it, and... And, like, that's the thing is when they come to school, like you said, most of them have their own their own coach from different countries and different states. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's more along the lines of just teaching them course management because very rarely do you get uh, guys in college that are, like, ready to go and have complete control of their emotions and their, and their course management skills, you know, because when they come out of high school, most of the time they're pretty raw talent. And so – our, more of what we do is just teaching them, like, shot selection, you know, just kind of course management skills. And along the lines, if they're struggling with something, we both are good enough players and had good success on different levels. So we're able to, like, help them out with certain things. But um, most of the time we're in, we're in touch. We, we know their coaches or their swing coaches. So if something goes wrong, we sort of have an idea based off what they're working on or but like we, most of the time, we kind of just teach them, teach them the skills that go along with trying to be successful from a, you know a practice standpoint, course management, shot selection, stuff like that. Yeah, it's it's a it's a management it's a management role basically, isn't it? You're managing you're managing people. I, I, right. I, guess, I guess it's similar to let's say an NBA head coach. Um, you know, it's, he's probably not working with any of these guys on their shooting technique or their dribbling right. that, you know, that's, that's other people that do that. And then you've got your strength coaches and, you know, you, right. you, your main coach is, is, is managing everything looking down on it, I guess would be a way to say. Right. It. Yeah, yeah. Right. And it's, it's just like anything, like if we go to a tournament, you know, we kind of help them learn how to game plan a little bit, learn how to, you know, something as simple as learning how to use the yardage book better if they're not big on, if they're not really aware of how to like properly use one. You know, so it's yeah. just like a good transition period 
um, between professional golf, which most of them want to play when they come into school, versus junior golf. It's a it's a great place, like a great competing ground, and a great place to just kind of learn who you are and learn skills along the way. Yeah, I mean that that that, that you make a good point. There. I mean, how many of these kids come to the school and say, "I want to play professional golf." Do you ever get some that don't? They're just they want to play college golf and then they want to be a lawyer or a doctor or whatever. I mean, yeah, very very rarely, you know. I had I had two former teammates that are actually ones at uh, Oklahoma Med Medical School and ones at Duke Medical School, and I they they really had no desire. Um, they maybe came in wanting to do that, but then in the end, you know, they kind of were like, well, I don't really want to they want to go down a different path. And, um, but I would say honestly, probably like 98% of them come in right away and want to play professional golf. Um, yeah, I would, I would think, I would think that is the small, yeah, I would think that's easily the number. I mean, to, to, to play, to be good enough to play for the university of New Mexico golf team, you have to really have that desire to want to be a professional because to get to that level, to play for them, you need to be, you need to, right. you need to have that. You want to have that. Right. I, I, I would imagine if Coach Milliken sat down with someone and they said, "Yeah, you know, I would love to play for New Mexico, but I have no goals of being a pro. I want to get my degree and I want to go get a job." I would think that would almost be a turnoff for a coach that that that, that that's not the desire because the the, the the work ethic. I guess, I guess all people are different, but. You know, if I if I was going to go play college golf and I had no desire to play professional golf, well, do I have the work ethic to get to where I need to be to be good enough to be a right? Right. Right. Exactly. And it's and that's the thing is like the nice thing though is you deal with a small percentage of those that don't want to play, and uh, and that's why it's nice to have a guy that have guys that have good work ethics and like just for like in our team right now. It's great to have older guys that are very, very in tune with their practice and with their effort off the course. Yeah. So it's it's a nice to have older guys that are able to do that because the younger guys sort of just follow suit, you know. And I think that's I think that's one thing that's not really talked about with the consistency of our program, but just yeah. being able to consistently have older guys that are sort of like ex- extensions of the coaches, and so the younger guys just do. Every, you know, just kind of follow the older guys, and then they end up being the older guys at some point that teach the younger guys. So it's Absolutely. it's it's nice to have those work ethics and like seeing people, and especially if it's coming from the older guys, because the freshmen just kind of follow along and do what the older guys do. And if they're out here for hours working on their crafts, and the freshmen are probably right there underfoot. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, seniors are a big, big, big part of the. Of the program and, and the progression of the uh, of the freshmen and the, and the sophomores. Um, well, we've got to take a quick break, Sean, but we'll be back here in a couple of minutes. Uh, this is ESPN Radio 1017, the team, and the 8 Grady's Golf Show. We'll be right back. Let's get back to the 8 Grady's Golf Show with Jerome Espinoza on ESPN Radio 1017, the team. Hi, welcome back. My name is David Muttit, and this is the 8 Grady's Golf Show on ESPN Radio 1017, the team. We're back with uh, our esteemed guest, Sean Carlone, this week, and we are talking mostly about the New Mexico golf team. We'll, we'll change subjects here in a little bit, but um, 
Tell me, Sean, of all the players there, who who is in your mind has the greatest chance to to succeed at the next level? Uh, you know, I think they all have. I think they all have a pretty good shot. Um, right now, at the moment, the guy with the lowest scoring average is Albert Bonetta, our our uh, redshirt junior from Spain. Um, he was hurt all of last year, but he he kind of took that time to kind of took that time to, you know, work on certain things. And when he came back this year, he was he was pretty ready to go. So he's, right now he's got the lowest scoring average. But, you know, just with, like, the, the depth of our team, Bastian Amat won individually um, in Reno this fall, which actually gets him into the Barracuda this summer. So he'll be playing a PGA Tour event. Oh, sweet. And, and Albert Bonetta, um, the guy I just mentioned, actually played that tour event last year as well. So. Um, like I said, we have a pretty we have a pretty deep team right now. We're, it's a small team. We're only at nine um, at oh, the wow. moment, but we are bringing in four freshmen this fall. So it's like I said, it's kind of a it's it's kind of up in the air, you know. And like you mentioned, you touched on it a little bit earlier, where just certain guys make it and some don't. So it's like it's hard to say. Yeah. Um, I think they all kind of have the equal opportunity. Um, but like I said, right now, just for scoring average purposes, Bonetta's got the best scoring average, but. What's your score playing now? a tour event. Uh, 69-3. Wow, really so cool. far for the five events we've played, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, and, and for those that are listening, they're not playing Los Altos and Arroyo for those 69 scoring averages. They play, they're playing much much more difficult golf courses, faster, firmer greens, tougher conditions. Obviously, obviously the pressure speaks for itself. Um, right, because I think we're, at the moment we have six guys that are averaging – below 72 so that's i mean that's pretty good depth right there just to yeah. be able to have six guys averaging you know under par yeah yeah what are you um thinking the chances of the of the nationals are i mean i know you guys have been before um, right but that's obviously the um, goal at the start of the season i would think for any college program that the level that the lobos are that, that right that's the number one goal right i think we i think we have a great chance um like I said, we have a couple pretty good young talents, and uh, you know we're just we're it, we're figuring it out a little bit. You know, we didn't we had the first tournament of the fall this week. Um, we just got home from Tucson on Tuesday night. It it was okay. We finished seventh uh, in a pretty good field over there in Tucson. But um, like I said, we're trying to you know most of the guys hold themselves pretty have pretty high standards. So I think if I think we have a great opportunity. You know, I think that regionals is probably the hardest thing in the world to do when it comes to college athletics, you know, because it's, if you make regionals, it's essentially like making the NCAA tournament for basketball, right? That you have, you know, your at-large teams and then you have your automatic bids. So, um, I mean, we made in 60 years, 55 years, we made, we've only missed regionals like five times. Um, and we've made nationals quite a few times, but it's just so hard because you have six regional sites and only five teams qualify. So that's what makes golf very difficult in postseason is because only 30 teams out of 312 go to national championship, like the finals. Yeah, so talk about, so, that, talk about that process from start to finish, from August mm-hmm. to nationals, which are what, in May? May yeah. May? Yeah, so, yeah, in the May, early June. So talk about that qualification process for all the listeners. And, and to be honest, I, I'm not completely aware of, 
of, of, of mm-hmm. how all that works. I'm sure there's some sort of uh, point system that goes along with it that, that qualifies you. But if you could, if you could maybe start, you know, from the from the start in August to the end of May, what, what what's the what's the process and, and the and the qualifying? Um, right. Yeah. So usually, um, there's obviously preseason rankings, but everything's based off golf stat. Um, which is like a college ranking system and scoring system. Um, so everybody, you have your preseason stats, but usually the first rankings don't, the first actual rankings don't come out until I want to say late September, early October. Um, and it just, and it all depends who goes to regionals, right? Uh, usually it's right around that top 60 mark are automatically or automatic bids. And then you have your teams that have that win conference and that have their, um, you get an at-large bid if you win conference. So um, that, that around that 60, why I say around 60 is because it just depends. You have guys that are ranked in the top 60 that win, and then it pushes it up to 60, win conference, and it pushes it up to 61. But if you have teams outside of the top 60 that win conference, and then it pushes it down to 59. You know what I mean? So it's like right, right. if you're teetering around that 60 mark, it can become a little bit stressful because that's pretty much – right around the area you need to be to play regionals without winning conference. And um, is this based on strength of fields, like the, which school, which tournaments you're playing, which schools are represented? Because um, obviously if the Lobos went to a, uh, a college golf tournament with a lot of smaller schools, they're going to blow that field away. And, and you know, they're obviously not going to get the, the recognition right, and, of that as they would as if they were playing against a you know, a USC and a UCLA and, and stuff like right. that. Right, and that's in, in strength of field does play a big role in that. But uh, another interesting part, too, is that we do have oh. the first for regionals, you have to have above a 500 record. So you can't, you can't be, there's, you can't be ranked 50 in the country and not be above 500 or you're not going to make regionals. When you say above you know, 500, you, you're talking if there's 10 teams in a tournament, you've got to average finishing fifth or higher? Yep, exactly. Okay, your okay. head-to-head record, yep. yep. Yeah, interesting. How many of the tournaments are match play? Because the, the national championship now is, is, is match play. It's been that way for a few years. But do you play any of yeah. those throughout the year, or is that just the only, is that the only one? Very, there's very few of them. I know that... Um, the Big 12 has one at the end of the fall. The SEC has one. I'm not completely sure, but um, honestly, I-, I would say there's maybe a handful, but usually they're just 54 hole stroke play events. Yeah, is, yeah. It's typically 36 holes in one day and then 18 the next. That's what it was when I played, but that, uh, do you, are you guys doing it in three days or is that in two days? Um, just depends on the, just depends on the tournament. Like um, in the fall we played, um, two events that were 18 for three days. And then, and then we played two that were 36, 18. And then the spring so far, just with Tucson, um, it was a 36, 18 event. And then Hawaii will be three days. Vegas will be three days. Um, so it just all depends really. So do you have a mountain West ranking at the moment? Are you, are you top of the mountain West? How do they do that? I want to say we're right around that probably right around that three mark. Uh, we always have a pretty good golf conference. Um, and it's, a, it's the same, you know, it's the same pose as basketball. I mean, San Diego state's always got a great program. UNLV, um, 
you know, Colorado State's actually playing really good golf this year. So it, we're right around that 3-4 area, I'd say. And um, UNLV has had some uh, pretty fantastic players over the years. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So it's always, uh, it's always if you, if we're at top the conference, we're playing really good golf. So that's that's a great, that's a nice thing too. Is we're in a pretty good golf conference, all things considered. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean this UNLV. Adam Scott played at UNLV for God's sake. I mean that's that tells yep. you, that tells you all you need to know, really. Um, yeah. Yeah, I would imagine Colorado State are, are typically fairly good uh i've mm-hmm. in the t- lot of the tournaments i've played over the years i've played with plenty of guys that played at colorado state and uh you know they're always they're always pretty good and then san diego state is um not not xander shoffley played at san diego state didn't he yep yeah yep yeah. xander jj spawn yeah um you got several corn fairy guys like will bateman yeah i mean you could go down the list that in the Mountain West and seeing who's played, like I, just off the top of my head, just guys that I played with that are on the PGA Tour, like Harry Hall, Taylor Montgomery from UNLV, you know, and then you got a couple other guys from San Diego State. So it, the Mountain West always produces a lot of really good players after school, which is which is awesome and a great tool in recruiting as well. You know, is that not only are you going to come here and have great facilities in New Mexico, but we're going to play a schedule that gives you the opportunity to be the best in the country. You know. Because you're exposed to the best teams and the best players, so yeah, absolutely. And I've and I've seen, I've seen plenty of college uh, facilities, and, and UNM's is right up there. They they got a hell of a practice area, and it really mm-hmm. uh, really does help you improve. I mean, that short game area is great. Um, you know, I've been to Oklahoma State's, Texas Techs. The Oklahoma State one is obviously outrageous, but you know that's. They're yeah. historically one of the best programs in the country every year. Uh, right. A and M, they got a great one. Um, I'm sure you've been to these places, but talk, oh, me, yeah. talk me through a typical day as the assistant golf coach for the Lobos men's golf team when you're in town and when you're out of town. Um, in town, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we have workouts at six thirty. So me and coach actually both go and work out with the guys because we. One thing we try and do and that we kind of, we pride ourselves on is just spending as much time with the guys as possible. Yeah. Um, but so Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 6.30 um, workouts. Usually after that, I come back to the office and do some administrative stuff, you know, whether it's working on computer, doing some recruiting stuff, you know, just sort of some office work for a couple hours. Um, and then just as right now, um, we'll have practice. Um, on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, from about one to four, two to five, give a, give or take three hours, um, and then the guys can do what they want outside of that time. You know, if they want to go play or whatnot. And then Tuesday, Thursday, no workouts in the morning, but we'll either have them pra- out here practicing like we are at the moment, um, or we'll go out, or they'll go out and play um, on Tuesday, Thursday. Then they have class in the afternoon, and. Uh, and then on the road, um, you know, the the travel the travels travels got to be a little bit organized, you know, because you have seven moving parts, eight moving parts, just depending on how many guys go. Yeah. Um, but as an assistant, it's usually we'll get up and uh, we'll get up, kind of get everything ready before the guys wake up, and then we'll go to the course, map out pin sheets at breakfast, kind of go over some strategy stuff, and then 
just be out there on course with them. Um, and if they need any help or any situations, then we're, we're right there to help them. Yeah, yeah. And then recruiting is done what? Mostly in the summer? Um, yeah, the end of the fall. I, I mean, it never really stops per se. Um, I mean, we have dead periods and periods where we can't do anything. Like all of December, we're not allowed to recruit. Um, but like the summertime is like the majority of it because we're, we're allowed, we're allotted like 45 days of recruiting okay. per year. So like in the fall, um, if we're looking at guys or have been in contact with them, we'll go watch them, you know, and then hopefully see them before they come in on a visit and, and that, that's how we'll do it. And then in the summertime, you have all of the big junior events of the year, you know, the U S junior Western junior, junior PGA and junior world. So all the bigger stuff in the summer. So you'll go spend a couple of days at a time recruiting kids and kind of watching golf. Yeah. That's gotta be, that's gotta be pretty cool to do the travel and, and watch these kids compete in these tournaments and try and figure, yeah, out, which, try and figure out which ones you want. I mean, there's, there's a lot to choose from and, I mean, I don't, you tell me, what age does that start at now? It seems like it's gotten younger and younger and younger and younger. Yeah. So it's, I mean, the NCAA rules have changed even since I was in school because when I was being recruited, um, you know, by here and other schools, we weren't allowed to have phone conversations at all until, or even contact really. Like they weren't allowed to call, uh, or like coaches weren't allowed to call recruits until, um, the summer before their senior year, and most of the time it was after they had already committed anyway. Yeah. But now the rules have changed where we can, starting June 15th before their junior year is when we could start having phone calls, and um, that fall we're able to bring in juniors on official visits and stuff, which makes the recruiting process just a little bit easier, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, because we're able to bring them on officials instead of, you know, having having to have their families pay for them to come on on officials and you know, so the, the the NCAA has done a pretty good job in changing the process as a whole. But um, it you know it's my favorite part of the job so far is recruiting because it's like you get to see these kids as high school kids and see if you can imagine them as a lobo and you know getting to interact with them is great. Yeah, yeah, I bet I bet, I bet you meet some uh, pretty interesting kids. I mean, there's some you know I've I've taught some. Kids back when I was in Dallas ended up playing college golf, but God, they got so much to learn. They just, you know, they lose their cool so easily. They get down on themselves, you know. Um, right. I would imagine that, at that age, finding someone that's even keel and, and, and sort of ready to go is, is, is an extremely rare thing. Yeah, extremely and, rare that's the thing. Thing. and that's the thing about, you know, high school kids is, and I mean, it's just sometimes they don't have those factors quite yet. You know, they don't have a car yet. You know, they don't have a girlfriend yet. You know, there's, there's like factors that they still haven't figured out in life. So it's, it's, it's fun, you know, seeing kids yeah. develop over a year or so and seeing how their golf games look, how their attitudes have changed. Cause it's time period in high school and college and how people can change and how they develop themselves, you know? So it won't be long before, uh, before your little guys, going to be in high school oh tell me about it i know he'll be in eighth grade next year and yeah that's unbelievable looking at the hope high school golf team i'm pretty sure charlie will be playing that when he's in eighth grade so i'm looking forward to that uh, it ain't going to be long before he's beating you as well that that's coming very very soon i think yeah um, <laughs> if we if we played enough over the next few years i'm sure it i'm sure it would happen pretty quickly um yeah exactly but i, I think 
you know, as you know, Hope's a great school and, and they, they really pride themselves on, on everything. Uh, their sports right. are fantastic. Their education is fantastic. Um, you know, I believe the staff is fantastic. Their, their, their views are fantastic. Um, I think Hope's a, a great place to learn school and learn to play sports and get yourself ready for, for college, which obviously that's exactly what you did. I mean, how many... How many state championships did you win at Hope? Um, I won four as a team and three individually. Yeah, yeah. That's great, man. That's great. You, yeah. I, I think the first time I ever heard or saw you or met you was when you won it at Four Hills that day when it was blowing about 50 miles an hour. Do you remember that? Yep. Oh, yeah. Freezing cold. Oh, yeah. That canyon wind. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're a great player, Sean. I mean, it's just... You know, trying to play golf as a pro is, is a very, very, very difficult thing. And it's, uh, you know, you see these guys that hang on forever and ever and ever and do it and grind and grind and grind before yeah, they, it's, uh, before they know it. They're 40 years old and, and they've got nothing, right? But right. you just know it takes one week and you change your life. So it's so hard to say no to doing it anymore, you know. I'm right. sure as much as you love your job, I'm sure... A little bit down the road from now, you're going to have thoughts of doing it again. I mean, it's it's yeah. It's, I mean, it's an addiction. It really is. It's because you know, it does not take. You know, you don't need two years of amazing golf to change your uh-huh. life. You need four days. Yep. Four days, right. and you've done it. Right, and it's like, and it's nice though, because I still, I still keep my game in pretty okay shape. I play with the guys, you know, a couple times a week during qualifying, and yeah. Um, I'm, they give me kind of the competitive, the competitive juices I need. And then, you know, over break, I played one tournament and stuff. And, and honestly, like when I played it, I was, I played pretty good, honestly, but it's, I played with a, a kid who's fresh out of college and, and I mean, I don't, I play with another guy too, and I don't hit it that short. And he was out driving us by 50 yards every hole. So it's like, man, I, I think I made an okay decision. Yeah, I mean, there are moments like that for sure where you think to yourself, what am I doing? Like, look at this. Right. But, you just... but once again, you know, the chances that that kid makes it are absolutely tiny. They're, they're, they're tiny yep. at the end of the day. I mean, he, mm-hmm. you, have, you have no idea what's going through his head. You know, he can hit it, right. out, he can hit it out there 350, but, you know, if he comes down the last and he's got left-right win with a six iron and there's water on the right and it's like, does he have it in him to hit the shot that he has to hit? You know, you, you know, right. you don't know until you get to that point. Um, and that's the, uh, and that's the, uh, you know, the the thing about this game and uh, about these kids in college that want to play professional golf is they just it, it is a very small window, small. So all of the hard work and um, desire needs to come needs to start right here on our facilities. You know, and they need to. Uh, they need to learn how to practice and they need to learn how to compete here in college and give themselves the best opportunity for the next level. Because I mean, it is, it is probably the hardest thing you'll ever do. I mean, I did it for three years and I played okay at times yeah. and, but there's a lot of guys out there just in the mini tours that were unbelievable in college and just can't seem to figure it out. You know, yeah, and, I mean, uh, the, the key is stay within yourself, play within yourself, do what you're capable of doing. I mean, I'll tell you, in the five PJ championships I've played in, you stand on the range and you see all these guys. It is almost impossible to not feel out of place, you know. Right. Um, not that you don't believe in your ability, and, and but it's very, 
it's very easy to watch just walk down the range and watch all these guys and think good god like this. yeah it's like you almost have to just put your blinders on whenever you you're... do you do and that's what makes the special ones special and the ones that aren't aren't i mean that, you know it's it is 100 percent belief in yourself and if you're at 99 you're gonna lose to that guy that's 100 because he has zero doubts in his ability you know and yeah and it's like and, and i think social media especially with college golfers has become such a big thing that it's like it, you got to make sure your guys are keeping their blinders on because they start looking and comparing yeah. themselves to guys at other schools and or this and that and it's like you're just as good as them you know but you just don't want them to try and compare themselves to others you know and that's what, one of the hardest parts it definitely is all right we got to take a quick break uh, we'll be back on the eight Grady's golf show on the espn radio 1017 the team with our guest sean carlo and we'll be right back Let's get back to the 8 Greatest Golf Show with Jerome Espinoza on ESPN Radio 1017 The Team. All right, we're back on the 8 Greatest Golf Show on ESPN Radio 1017 The Team. I'm David Muttett, and our guest this week is Sean Carlone, the assistant golf coach for the UNM men's golf team. Uh, the first couple of segments, Sean, we've spoken about UNM golf and Glenn Milliken and the players and typical days and, you know, national championships. We're going to change it up a little bit here. I want to get your take on the Live Golf Tour versus the PJ Tour. What's where do you stand on that? Because Jerome and I go back and forth on this every week, and and I, I'm I'm more on the PJ Tour side, and he's more on the Live side. Get, get, give me your take on that. Well, I mean, my take is that I, like I personally see why those guys did the Live thing yeah. um, and signed those contracts because it is generational wealth, you know, yeah. and a lot of them. You know, the in, injury prone just with the the name of the game now with power. You know, guys are guys are getting hurt a little more often than you used to see That's a good point. Um, because yeah. they're they're putting their body through the ringer in the gym and trying to gain as much power as they can. So sometimes it's like a little bit scary when you go through an injury or something that keeps you out for a while. And you know as well as I, when your game goes, it goes sometimes, and it's like could be two years before you get it back. Um, yeah, no, it, 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 that's a great point. Um, and I totally understand these guys going at the same time. I, I don't quite understand the Cam Smith one. That that I don't quite understand. No, um, no. Because um, here's it, but here, here's the question that we always talk about, and we do tend to agree on this, Jerome and I, even though we disagree on on the Live versus PJ Tour. But I am of the opinion it is terrible for professional golf. Um, it's, yeah, it's going to ruin the Ryder Cup. It, you saw it ruin the President's Cup. Yep. Um, and if that's the case, it, it's got to be fixed. I mean, if the Ryder Cup doesn't have the best European players and the best American players, right. it's just, it's not it's not what it was. I mean, it, that's the, no. that, that is, in my opinion, the greatest event in golf. In my opinion, it's the greatest sporting event in the world. But that's yeah. I'm a I'm a golf pro, obviously, so I I'm a little biased to that. But um, yeah, that's that's sad to me if if that happens, and this is happening all because of money, and then two entities not coming together, and it it's, right. it's terrible in my opinion. Jerome no, uh, Jerome will disagree. Well, he'd agree a little bit, but uh, he'll disagree that it's bad for professional golf. And I'm like, well, if they, I mean, if they don't figure this out. How is it? Good? Yeah, it, How is it good? I mean, it it 
you know, it's good for these guys that are getting these hundreds of millions, but that's not that's not good for professional golf. No, and I and like I said, I I see why they did it. Don't get me wrong; like I understand why they did it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would throw the Ryder Cup up there with all the world events, like you know, the World Cup that just was the summer. You know, anything like it's just a big sporting event. It's very popular. Um, my thing, like my aspect that I don't understand from the live guys, like it, it, I mean, I guess it doesn't matter because they signed huge contracts. But first off, they're the um the world ranking right they 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 were denied world ranking points because they have to hit certain uh they have to hit certain uh criteria to be able to gain world ranking points so my question is like when these guys because they're only you know they played in the they played in the desert events and the middle east events for the european tour but other than those in um in asian tour events if you're not winning outside of lives and your world ranking starts to fall, and then you're no longer qualified for the majors, right? I mean, a yep. couple guys are because they've won them in the past. Like Dustin Johnson will forever be able yep. to go back to the Masters. But when those world ranking points fall and you can't play in majors, then one of those guys going to do. Exactly. You know, and, I mean, maybe that's part of their decision. Maybe they've basically said, look, I'm, I'm going to give a two- or three-year run. I'm going to get all this money, and then, you know, I've had enough. I'm done. But you're yeah. absolutely right, and I think – you know, some people were, were shocked initially, I guess, when all the majors have basically said, yeah, we're going to let them play if, if they meet the criteria and if they qualify. It's like, without the live having world ranking points, that made that decision for the major championships easy. They, of course, are going to have their past champions back. They were never going to ban them. So they're yeah. always going to get to play. But your Kevin Nars, your Taylor Gucci's, your Pat Perez, Warner. They, they are, they're going to have four chances over this year and then that that's it. If they don't finish in the top 15 or, or whatever it is for each tournament, some of them 16, some of them 15, to come back the next year, you're done. You, 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 right. you can't play in majors anymore. So they made that decision easy for those major championships. They basically said, this is going to fix itself. <laughs> right. And, and, like, for me, just with, like, uh, like, obviously I respect their golf games 100%, but just with me, it's like, I just don't imagine any from like in, let, let's say NBA players. I, I don't imagine them coming into the NBA on a team that's really good, and just being oh, content with making the playoffs every year, right? So exactly. like major champ, it's major championships for our game is the NBA championship, it's the Super Bowl, yep. it's the World Series, it's everything. That's what your whole career is like based on, in a sense, is how many majors you want. Well, so I, like if I'm, you can't, it, and if you can't take that, if you if if you're good with not playing in them, it's like, I, I don't know how much I agree with that decision at all. Well, and this this is the point I make to Jerome all the time. I said, I don't care how good you play on the Live Golf Tour. You are not playing against all of the best players in the world every week, right? You've got no. so much money now. You, you only play 54-hole events. They're shotguns, which a shotgun is the most ridiculous thing for a professional golf tournament because if you tee off on number three and number three is 100 and, or you finish on number three, let's say, and you've had a crazy round and now you're in the lead and number three is a pitching wedge par three, whereas the other guy who's been leading is now teeing off on 18, which is a brutally hard par four, it's like, that's not fair. No, and it just doesn't make any sense. It takes away from the, 
it takes away from all of the prestige that this game has. Yeah, and, and I think, the, and like, I think, in the long run, these guys, their games are, are not going to be as sharp. That one, they're not going to be playing as much. Two, the competition is not as good. You've got, you know, you've got ten guys out there that you know are world beaters. Let's say, well, if if nine of those don't play well and you win an event, you may not have even played that well to win that event. I just think. Over the time, if it stays the way it is, their golf games are not going to get better. No. I, I, don't, I just yeah. I don't see how anybody could disagree with that. The level of play for some of those guys is going to diminish. Look at, look at Mickelson. I know he went through a bunch of other stuff, but it's like he just won the PGA Championship, and then the next year didn't even play in a major. It, no, and, and like my, uh, another issue I have with it, too, is just like we were talking about dealing we we're talking about college kids dealing with adversity you know it's like the whole point of the shotgun and live is so everyone plays in the same exact conditions but it's like that's the beauty of our game like, well and, it, and it's not and it's not you start on a different hole i'm sorry if you have to finish on a brutal hole and you've got a one-shot lead or you're finishing on a short little easy par three with a one-shot lead which one are you going to choose i right. mean <laughs> it, that, that's just not it's just one hundred percent not fair. I mean, that, that, that. no, and, and so like then when they come to a major championship and let's say they do have the lead and they do have to finish, they haven't done that, right? I mean, it's no. you have to do that consistently to be able to handle that well, situation. You can't just pop up out of nowhere and, and handle that. You know, it, it, no, for sure. And just like just like what I touched on, though, like that's one of the beauties of our game is that it's like whoever handles, because like especially in a major. Um, like I haven't played in one yet, but it's like you're gonna. But just in just in pro golf and like Q schools, even like a high stress situation, like you're gonna get some bad waves of weather. Like that's just part of it. But it's yeah. who handles it the best is gonna, you know, probably come out on top. And it's like that's just the part of the game is dealing with adversity Absolutely. and dealing with all the effects of and I think you know that the game throws at you. And then live takes that away a little bit. I think with the shotgun start because everybody they're making it. They're making it fair. Like, it's not a fair game. No, you know? of course. Just... And, and we got to wrap up here in a second, but uh, another point I think I want to make about that is, I mean, I've I've finished pretty high up there in the, in the club professional championships and obviously our section championships and stuff. When you're on the range before the final tee time, you're next to the guy that you're about to have to go battle with, right? And that's right. that's a moment you have to deal with. You have to understand that. You have to watch him. You have to see what he's doing. You have to do what you're doing. That makes that foot that that walk to the first tee is a million times different than a cart ride to the fourth tee box. I mean, it's it's just not golf as we know it. I get things evolve, and some people probably love watching the live, but for a professional golf, I think it's terrible. But. Anyway, that, that's, that's about all we got time for today. Sean, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, once again, Sean is the assistant golf coach for Glenn Milliken at the University of New Mexico's golf team. Uh, they've got a fantastic program. Sean, you keep up the good work, and we'll be back on 8 Grady's Golf Show next Saturday from 10 to 11 on ESPN Radio, 101.7 The Team. Thank you for listening to the 8 Grady's Golf Show with Jerome Espinoza. Come back Saturday mornings at 10 for the latest stories and analysis from around the world of golf on ESPN Radio 1017 The Team.